that was weird. It showed us for a second before it stopped showing us. I just remembered that one of these uh, session things is wrong. It's uh, I think it's the total for the month or something like that, but one of those is wrong. I'm stupid. I knew I had to fix something. You're doing great. Look, it's... Okay, considering how few technical difficulties we've had lately, I'm doing a great job. But you also did just start this podcast with, and we're starting. Oh, that's wrong. Yep. All right. Well, as you can see, this is obviously not Thorn Bussy. Are you sure? Uh, not anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, he is he is off in uh, the, the yeah, north. We don't know. He's, he's in New York. Um, he's somewhere. Not yeah, here. He's... Yeah. He's doing his thing. Um, but more importantly than his absence, it is my little sister's birthday. And I decided that in in addition to whatever I, whatever I decide to give her for her birthday is, I will add on a gift card in the amount of uh, every super chat that says, Happy Birthday, Ainsley. So, throughout the show, if you want to toss a dollar or two dollars in and say, Happy Birthday, my little sister. She's uh, turning 20 today. So... If you would like to do that, it will uh, contribute to her birthday fund. And help him appear to be a better big brother. Hey. More importantly, I get to give her all these chats that say happy birthday, Ainsley. Say happy birthday, Ainsley, either way, whether or not you super chat. But uh, I thought that would be a fun little fun little addition to it. To also get, uh, get this out of the way early on, our September donation goals, we've already hit one of them. Um, you guys are getting a Halloween cocktail stream. I'm mm-hmm. going to design three Halloween-themed cocktails. Can I taste using... test them? Yes, you can taste test them. You can be here for that stream. Yes. Um, and then the, what we're going to do with that is uh, post the recipes, as we did with uh, the Woodland Whistler and the Archie Bomb and whatever the other one was called. Um, I can't remember. Yeah. But we're going to do that. Uh, once we hit $500, uh, there will be a blue, sh- blue snow shovel self-defense course shot. So Aiden and I will make an entire video explaining how to use the blue snow shovel to fight the Wendigo. Yes. Um, if I can convince the guy who came up with the blue snow shovel thing to come down, uh, I will also bring him. Chad, if you're watching, I might ask you to take a bit of a trip. Um, for 750, we will write, shoot, and edit a skit where we put the Wendigo on trial. For what? It's many crimes. Which are? Or we could have a Wendigo lawyer, I suppose. Both. 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 Both um, is good. <laughs> can have a uh, like intellectual property dispute between the wind yeah. and Skinwalker. It's all about the, no, no, no. It's about the wind Oh God! <laughs> the intellectual property case yeah. of the wind And if you guys can get to that one thousand dollar mark, Aiden and I will shoot a Halloween themed sexy calendar, which means we will be going to Spirit Halloween and buying the most absurdly sexy costumes we can. Uh, that are obviously not going to be meant for men because that wouldn't be funny. Um, but you guys will get some really, uh, really fun content out of this month's goals if you should hit them. Again, uh, we've already hit the two, uh, the two fifty. Do not rely on whatever is on screen to tell you what the current number for the month is. It is wrong. <laughs> I have to fix it. But without further ado, we actually have to get into our. Also, I just wrote a comment. Hi, I'm Becca. I'm not his sister. <laughs> no, she's not my sister. I I realized when I said Aiden wasn't here that I didn't introduce you. That's no. my bad. Anyway, this is Becca. I've known her since we were, well, since I was 17. I was... You were a child. 14. Yeah. Did to be clear, she was in our grade. Yes. <laughs> just precocious, I suppose. Yes. Um, but yeah, so we've known each other for a very long time. She has our logo tattooed on her arm. Oh, um, no, that's the one that's hidden. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's it's like not a... actually our logo. It's way cooler. But... 
No offense to Norman who drew this one, but uh, you know, it's that that's a little bit more intricate. And if you like this logo, you can go to thelorelodge.shop and get some t-shirts that have it on it, as well as some other t-shirts that have other things, like a Wendigo Milkman. Yes. Um, so, call one of the drinks a Wendussie Whiskey Spritz. Oh, God. Um, there's going to be a whiskey sour, which you can imagine... Can it be a pumpkin? What that one's going to be, probably. Um, I got to figure out, because my stepdad really wants a whiskey sour. So I promised him I would do that. But to get into it today, Becca, what are we talking about? No head. Oh, God. Yeah. You know what? That's not wrong. <laughs> um, so we're, we're going to be talking about the Valley of Headless Men, also known as its proper name, the Nahani National Park Preserve in Northwest Territories, Canada. Now, the Northwest Territories in Canada are known for being North and West and in Canada. Wait, really? Yes. Are you sure? It would literally be like if we named Florida Southeast Territories. Good job, Canada. A plus. You just... They did so well with the other ones, too. It really like, did. Quebec. Uh, I'm not Canadian. Saskatchewan? Is that a province? Um, Yukon? Is Newfoundland one of them? Yes, I think so. Okay. Uh, British Columbia, which is kind of boring, but at least it's... Which is neither Not just straight up descriptive of the territory. But it is also neither British nor Colombian. That's true. I although and now that I'm thinking about it, we live in Pennsylvania, which yep. just means Penn's Woods. Yep. And it's just a giant forest owned by William Penn, so I guess I guess we're not really anybody to making judgments here. Point is, uh, this valley has been inhabited since about eight thousand BC, which is a long time ago. I uh, we don't know exactly when humans came to North America. Mm -hmm. It used to be thought that there was uh, one large migration mm -hmm. during the last Ice Age. Now it appears there were probably multiple migrations and that it's possible that humanity actually died out in the Americas completely before being reintroduced. We don't totally know. The assumption for a long time was Clovis first, which was based on the Clovis culture, which is Clovis, New Mexico. Okay. And they were basing that around uh, spear and arrow tips that had a specific shape, which... Okay. They were consistent, and they said, all right, the fact that these are consistent over a broad region means that this is probably a consistent group of people. Mm -hmm. Still nomadic, but it was very, for a very long time, believed those were the first people in the United States okay. and in Canada. We didn't have evidence for other ones until earlier this year or perhaps late last year. And Mini Minuteman talked about this too. I am not making this one up. I am not BSing people. This is real archaeology. There was a footprint found, I can't remember exactly where, but it was in the United States, a footprint found with, uh, and you can't carbon date a footprint, but what you can carbon date is the seed that they found stamped Ooh. into the ground by the foot. Carbon dated that to 23,000 years ago. Damn. So, previously we thought the earliest was 13,000. Mm -hmm. Now we've got pretty concrete evidence for uh, 23,000. Mm -hmm. There's also a site in, I think, uh, I want to say North Carolina. Might be South Carolina. Um, can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. But there is a site there that suggests human habitation 50,000 years ago. Wow. And then there's the uh, Chiruti Mastodon site, which is in California, which I think Mini Minuteman just did a video on. I didn't watch it yet, but... Mm -hmm. um, where there uh, was a mastodon killed. Okay. And based on the markings on the bones, some archaeologists and paleontologists and anthropologists have suggested that it was killed by human beings using weapons. 
Okay. That one, it's really flimsy. We're basing it. Yeah. There's no weapons in the area that they found, mm -hmm. but they did find what appears to be uh, markings on the bone that would suggest it was killed with a weapon, which would, of course, have to be humans. Or it doesn't have to be humans, but that opens up a whole different can of worms. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. Of like, It is flimsy because, to my knowledge, primitive uh, weapons and teeth can make maybe similar marks on bones. Mm -hmm. And so... That's kind of how they're looking at it, is, like, they can't tell if it's bones or teeth, mm -hmm. which is fine, you know, like, I'm, I'm not going to fault them for that, but... So anyway, there were people here a long time. Yeah, exactly. So there have been people here for a very, very long time. Um, 8,000 BC for Nahani, which is totally in line, totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. We don't have a ton of information. As far as I'm aware, uh, they haven't found any significant like cave art or anything like that. But what they have found uh, in one cave called Valerie's Cavern, which is halfway up mm -hmm. a cliff face, uh, several hundred feet at least, I think it's actually like 1,500 feet, uh, they found a cavern called Valerie's Cavern that has 116 doll sheep skeletons. See, here's the thing. When I was watching the video, mm -hmm. I fully believed that they were sheep dolls. Ah, uh, no, not, not, no. That's not what I mean. <laughs> like little things for no, children? No, doll, D-A-L-L. Ah. Yeah, doll yeah, no. sheep. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a minute. I was like, why? Well, I mean, yes, that's another marking of humans being there, but... Skeletons is a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. So they were they were doll sheep skeletons, 116 of them, 1,500 feet up a cliff face. Like, there's just... But also, how did humans get those up there? That is a great question as well, but... Because I'm going to guess these are not small sheep. Uh, like, at least 100 pounds. They're, they're solid-sized sheep. Like, right? at least 100 pounds. That's a lot to carry yeah. up a cliff. So one suggestion is that they got in there um, when the glaciers were up there. That's a good because point. Because they are 25, they were dated to 2500 BC. Mm -hmm. So there could have been greater glacial cover. I'm sure there was greater glacial cover in the Northwest Territories in 2500 Absolutely. BC. Um, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, obviously. But the point of the matter is, some people suggested, oh, well, they got in there during during the glacial period. But why did 116 doll sheep wander into a cave to die? Um, Maybe they were running away from a predator. What I What I would suggest is that they were put there by people. I think I would actually agree with that, of, like, to yeah. have that many skeletons in one place. Mm -hmm. But it begs the question, why, then, is this specific area of the valley, if it were clearly rich with food, mm -hmm. it actually is warmer in the valley than the surrounding areas, uh, there's plenty of fresh water, there, uh, you know, it's, it's not super arable land, but these are primarily hunter-gatherers anyway, why is it that around, it's believed that this was around 1300 AD, mm -hmm. but why is it that around 1300 AD that the tribe that actually lives in the region disappears? Maybe they ate all, they ate all the sheep. It's possible, but the other tribes didn't leave. That is strange. So oral tradition in the, in the area tells of a group, of a tribe called the Naha. Mm -hmm. And this is all Dene. Uh, peoples um who are the one of the larger native american tribal groups dna means the people mm -hmm. in their language uh this is also referred to as the athabascan people by the algonquin native americans who okay. referred to them as that because they encountered them for the first time on the uh lake athabasca gotcha uh so 
the Nene don't like being called Athabascan. Okay. And they've been trying to switch it over. It's not like an it's not an insulting term or a derogatory term. But it's a preferred It's just not term. accurate. Yeah. So they prefer to be called Dene. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Navajo and Apache are also both Dene groups, which is oh, not really would not be weird if it weren't for the fact that there is approximately a one thousand mile span of land between them and the nearest northern Dene tribe. So when they left, they left. <laughs> they left. But, based on the Navajo language and the Navajo culture and customs mm-hmm. and encounters with the Pueblo nations who taught them how to farm in the region, so that means they, when they got there, they didn't know how to farm mm-hmm. in, in, like, Arizona. Yeah. So the Pueblo t- taught them how to do it. Uh, and then the other tribal groups in the area, like the, uh, the, the Ute peoples, mm-hmm. different. Like, different language. Huh. Totally different group. Uh, it, you know, as as different as Irish people versus Poles. So you're you're talking about two completely separate groups of people existing in the same region, and this one, the Navajo, just show up. Huh. And they show up around 1300 BC, according to the oral tradition of the Dene people of the Northwest Territories. There, this tribe, the Naha, was an aggressive, hostile tribe. It would come down and they would they would raid, they would murder, they would pillage. Like they were they were the bad guys. Mm-hmm. So much so that the Dene people that surrounded them formed a confederation to go and launch an attack and completely wipe them out. Like the plan was genocide. Yeah, enemy and my enemy is my friend. Yeah, and so according to the story, the Dene warriors basically crept their way up the mountain because the these people lived in a settlement in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Crept their way up, kind of established, like, all right, we're gonna wait here. We can see the settlement from here. We're good. I waited for nightfall. Typical typical ambush tactics. Crawled up. And as soon as they crest over and they can see into the village, not a soul to be found. That is strange. And it's like fire still burning. See, that's the part that gets me. Now, again, remember, oral tradition. True. <laughs> True. But it also just conveys the fact that they left in a hurry. Exactly. And I think that whether you believe that the fires were still burning and the bedrolls were still out and there were meals sitting on the ground, whether you believe that or not, you look at it and you say, okay, that was probably like if, you know, the Trojan War happened, but the Iliad didn't. <laughs> That's kind of what we are probably dealing with here. But the the key facts of the matter usually stick around. Mm-hmm. There was a city called Troy. There was an Achaean invasion of uh, Asia Minor. Mm-hmm. There, w- there probably was a King Agamemnon. Like, mm-hmm. that much of that story is true. Achilles and the, you know, riding the chariot around, like, with the body attached to the back. That probably didn't happen. Yeah. But the important parts of the story did. Yeah. Everything else was filled in about it. So, with this situation with the Naha tribe, well, if you go based on similar stories, what most likely did happen is that, yes, there was, in fact, a group of people here. Mm -hmm. And, yes, they did leave very suddenly. Mm -hmm. And there probably was also an intention to kill them. Like, there was probably a war party, they probably went there, the people were probably gone. Mm -hmm. Then disappearing completely overnight might be totally made up. Yeah. It could have been a period where, you know, the last time they saw them was a few months ago, and when they went up to check on them, you know, in the spring, because they planned to wait until the thaw to attack, they weren't there. makes sense. So, it doesn't really totally matter how quickly they disappeared. What matters is that they disappeared, and they disappeared quickly enough that it left an impression that people wanted to, like, really hammer it down. These people disappeared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's suggested that the Naha tribe are the Navajo. 
Okay. And the Navajo are and were a particularly warlike tribe, um, <laughs> which is not to say anything bad about them. It's just like... I also kind of go back to the linguistics of if the language follows. Oh, yeah. It's it's almost certain that the that the Naha and the Navajo are the, the yeah. same tribal group, in my opinion. I couldn't give you a... I couldn't sit here and give you, like, an example. Yeah. Text. I couldn't give you a source on that. It's just based on the reading I did. It seems like that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah. And, like, there's just... There's enough here that y- you you can ask questions and wonder why they left. I uh, I think... I think that they probably had a reason that was very simple, which was mm-hmm. fear. Probably. Either they knew that they were about to be attacked and left. It's a smart choice. But in that case, why'd they leave and go that far away? Yeah. That is the strange thing. It's very odd. And I mean, it does make sense to go pretty far away to get away from these tribes that want to war against you. Yeah. But you don't have to go, what is it, a thousand miles? I'm going to look it up right now. Um, let's see. Uh, Ahani, Ahani National Park. Pull it up on maps. <laughs> Someone just called it a Roanoke prequel. Prequel. You are correct. I mean, yeah, basically. Not not totally inaccurate. Okay, here we go. Oh, uh, looking on a map actually makes it more tangible for just how far they went. Yeah, so I'm trying to get to, like, a general... Alright, so let's even just, you know, Navajo Nation is basically so basically right down here in the four corners. So we're going to measure distance from there up to Nahani. It's, as the crow flies, about... Looks like just under 2,000 miles. Wow. So they left from Nahani National Park, well, today mm-hmm. Nahani National Park, and they went 2,000 miles southeast. Yeah, engaging from the Appalachian Trail, mm-hmm. which is also about about 2,200 miles. It takes about three months to walk that far. Oh, for, like, a small group of people carrying all of their supplies it's and good. backpacks. That's going to be about a six-month journey. It's going to be a long trip. Yeah. So this is an entire tribe that embarked to go on a very long trip walk <laughs> and probably had a damn good reason now it maybe, could be that maybe they, they forest gumped it maybe, and they just started walking and didn't stop and maybe they maybe they like figured let's just keep going until it uh, gets warmer or something maybe. like I, I don't know what their reasoning was but yeah they end up they, down there they just really hated snow yeah is that what, what am i looking at on the uh, that's the zero from where that starts but yeah so i mean i, I literally it's like i Tagged it to um to the the northernmost point of the Navajo Nation. It's about two thousand miles, which is just wild. That's such a long walk. That's uh, such a long walk. I uh, but that that whole question of why they leave could perhaps be answered by whatever the hell was going on in Nahani in the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. The natives typically do not live along the South Nahani River. Okay. So there's just no native yeah. group. And if you go and you, you watch other videos on this subject, you're going to see a lot of people who are like, the natives don't live anywhere in the region. There's nobody there. Like, no, there there are and have been natives living in the region for a long time. Mm-hmm. 
They just don't live in this particular little stretch of it mm -hmm. along the South Nahani River, particularly around Second Canyon, which has sheer cliffs on both sides that go up, up to 3,000 feet in the air. Mm -hmm. um, which is not very hospitable anyway. It's not, and it's also these, these cliff faces are pockmarked with just cave entrances. Uh, this guy, Jean Poirel, mm -hmm. uh, an explorer, French Canadian, um, in the 1960s, went and mapped 250 of them. It's a brave soul. And he, he didn't, but he didn't, like, go in. Oh, he just saw where they were? And he just recorded. He was like, all right, there's a cavern here at this many feet. Here's what's inside the entrance. Uh, and he would rappel down from the cliffs and mm -hmm. check it out. And, you know, but he wouldn't go, like, deep into the caves. Smart man. Very smart man. But he, part of the reason he seems to have done this is because from 1908 through 1946, there were a string of very strange disappearances and then, uh, in almost every case, murders. Mm -hmm. What caused them? Well, to, to I think the best way to do that is to go into the story of Willie and Frank McLeod, mm -hmm. who were British Columbian uh, prospectors. And as the story goes, they were hanging out and uh, uh, you know at, at a local tavern or whatnot, and a Native American man came in, dropped a huge sack of gold on the ground, and was like, Got it up at Bennett Creek. And they said, okay, and went. So they decided they were going to do that. Uh, they set off from Telegraph Creek, which is slightly north of, uh, it's slightly in the north of British Columbia, and make the approximately 200-mile journey mm -hmm. to Bennett Creek, which is an offshoot of Flat River, which is in turn an offshoot of the South Nahani River. Okay. South Nahani River runs from Mount Christie in the west down through uh the Mackenzie Mountains, mm -hmm. until it breaks off into several other little rivers, uh, and these are basically at Fort Simpson and Fort Liard in Canada. Fort Simpson and Fort Liard were both founded by the Hudson Bay Company. They were founded as trading posts. They are forts because they needed to be forts, and they were private. Yeah. This is not military forts. Mm -hmm. uh, at the time, the majority of, in fact, almost all of the law enforcement and military activity in the area would have been the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. At the time, it was the Royal Northwestern Mounted Police. Mm -hmm. They had not yet been coalesced into one federal group yet. Gotcha. So, in 190, I want to say 1906, I don't have it right in front of me at the moment, but let me see if I can swing this. Oh my god, there's so many pages. Uh, yeah, so I think it was 1903 into 1904, maybe. Good job. Of course. Um, you want to snag that? Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, it was in 1903 they set off on the My pen. In 1903 they set off on the first journey and they make their way up to Flat River and find for themselves at Bennett Creek a very 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 sizable amount of gold. Okay. And they decide to head a little bit further down the river, check it out, you know, and maybe get to Fort Simpson or Fort Liard, either one. Their raft capsizes. They lose all the gold, most of their supplies, but they're able to at least salvage, like, what they need to get back to the fort. Mm -hmm. They do that, and then they go, and for about, uh, I think it's the, uh, like, February, January, February of 1904 into uh, spring of 1905, they work for the, the Hudson Bay Company, just making ends meet. Mm -hmm. They try to keep their gold find a secret at first, but it gets out enough that they kind of become local celebrities. Mm -hmm. And most people look at it as kind of a wives' tale. You know, they're just spinning stories. Yeah. Like, yeah. anyone can say that I found a bunch of gold upriver. Exactly. Until you show me the gold. Exactly. But a guy named Robert Weir, 
takes him seriously, and he tells them, I want to come with you. Okay. I, I, want, to, I want to go on, on an expedition. And so in the spring of 1905, uh, they set out. They're expected back by the, um, by the winter. Uh, but they don't show up. Mm-hmm. And so everyone's like, all right, they probably just made camp for the winter. Not a big deal. They'd been sending letters from the fort, like nothing was presumed to be a problem. And at the time, there had not been any weird business uh, in in the in the park. So they set off. They don't show up, and then 1906 passes, still nothing. 1907 passes, still nothing. And that's when you get concerned. <laughs> By spring of 1908, their brother Charlie McLeod is worried. And so he he follows their trail up to the forts. He asks around. None of the natives have seen them. None of the Europeans have seen them. And it's mildly important to the story uh, that Charlie, Frank, Willie, and their brother Fred, who also gets mentioned at some point in this story, um, are all uh, Métis. So they are half native. Gotcha. They are um, half French and half native, I think. Uh, Although, no, they're probably half Scottish based on their naming. Um, So half Scottish, half native. I uh, nobody's seen them, and they have a good relationship with the natives too. It's not just that they're on good terms with the white folk; they're they're solid with both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone's very friendly. Everyone seems to like them, but nobody has seen them. So Charlie eventually determines that okay, they left from either Fort Liard or Fort Simpson, went along the South Nahani upriver back to Bennett Creek, and I'll probably find them there. He gets a ways up and then eventually comes to a clearing on the side of the river where he finds a sled that has carved into it. We have found a very fine prospect. It is carved in his brother's handwriting. Mm -hmm. So he says, okay, I'm on the right track. But why on the sled? No idea. I have no clue. Like, that is a little bit mysterious. Like, why on the sled and why was it left? Unless they knew something was going to happen, or they were afraid something was going to happen. There's a lot of questions. That's one I don't have an answer to. It seemed a little fishy to me as well. Um, I don't know, maybe they actually left a note and the story got reported incorrectly. It could be any number of things. Mm -hmm. But... And also, sled doesn't have to mean, like, go down the snow hill sled. It could be something that they use to transport. Exactly. It's Yeah, it is a a transport sledge. Like, it's Mm -hmm. it's a a gold sled. Yeah. Um, They... So Charlie keeps heading up, and he eventually... Just at the foot of Second Canyon, mm-hmm. which is one of these spots, it's a 10-mile stretch of river where the cliffs come up to the water. Mm-hmm. There's no way out. You, like, He's stuck. Yeah. So, at the exit of Second Canyon, the as he's going upriver, mm-hmm. so he comes to the exit first, mm-hmm. there is a little grove on the side. And in that grove, he finds a tent, a couple of bedrolls, and two skeletons. Yay. One of those skeletons is, I believe, still in the tent. The other one is outside of the tent and appears to be reaching for the rifle that was leaning against the tree. I want to be very clear here that... In order for you to die and decompose in a position where your arm is outstretched, reaching for a gun... It is a sudden death. It's a sudden death. That is not... You, that's not starvation. That is not a wild animal attack. Nope. That is a... That's somebody a, hit you in the head. That's a stab, a hit, or a shot. It, it's... Pro- and, with, and with a skeleton, you can't really tell. Yeah, it's... In my opinion, I mean, thinking about that, like, how fast it has to have been, you know, for him to not, like 
kind of like try to cover the wound yeah. or whatever, it probably was a hit to the head. And it was also probably from the back. Mm-hmm. Because he was on the ground reaching. It, it, yeah. it seems like somebody took a club or something like that and whacked him on mm-hmm. right here. But we don't know because his head was not found. Of course not. Of course not. 1909, he goes back, he gets the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I'll tell you, if you want the more detailed version of this story, go ahead and watch the video on it. It's um, very informative. It's how I prepped for this. Yeah, and I went I went into all the details. Yes. Not just, like, you know, the, the basic stuff we're talking here. Uh, he goes back, he gets Arthur Malore, who is a, uh, a Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Um, I think he's a, uh, a sergeant. I'm trying to remember his exact title. It's in here somewhere. Um, I'll find it. Uh... Corporal. He was a corporal. Gets him. They bring out a little team. And they confirm, yep, none of the natives have seen these people. These are certainly two skeletons. They, all their belongings match. Here's another question. What? There were three people. Yes. And kind of their assumption was, all right, well, if this was a murder, it's probably Robert Weir. Yeah, that was, that's also my thought question of where are the heads is still valid. Fair. But so is the question of where is Robert? Because he never turns up. Although, they do come across some natives who tell them that they found another skeleton. Mm. Uh, a couple miles away, downriver. And so maybe he tried to get away with the gold, and then he got killed. Or, the three of them got attacked. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them died in the tent. One of them tried to get the rifle, and he ran. Did the guy in the tent have his head? No. Okay, so we were missing two heads. Willie and Frank both were missing their heads. Okay. Did Robert Weir have his head? Uh, his skeleton was never even confirmed to be his. Oh, okay. There wasn't enough left of it. Um, probably predation at that point, scavenging. Uh, but no, he. Uh, so Robert's never found. They find a skeleton that's assumed as his. Other McLeod family members throughout the next half-century call in, or not call in, but right into the amount of police to tell them, oh, I think Robert Weir might be here, like, there's a Robert gotcha. Weir matching this description, and it never actually leads to the right guy. The police chalk it up to natural causes. No. And they say that the heads probably were carried off by wild animals. Animals, well, animals will scavenge on a dead body. But probably not just take the head somewhere. If they are going to take bones or take a part, they are probably not going to take the head. And they're certainly not just going to take the head. Unless they're like me and collect skulls. <laughs> but that's exactly the point. Like you, a human. Head hunting is ab- <laughs> absolutely a human behavior. Humans do that all the time. They, yeah, it's a trophy. It's a trophy, yeah. And especially in like war parties. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Because, like, how else do you have proof that you actually killed the person? Exactly. Well, in in the Bible, they would take the foreskin, but that's not the point. How are those identifiable to a person? That's my question. It's more about numbers. Gotcha. It is the Jews we're talking about here. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I mean, there's an entire book called Numbers. Sorry. You can leave. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, I, this incident would be weird on its own, but you could chalk it up as a one-off, if not for the fact that uh, another guy goes missing a few years later. A man by the name of Martin Jorgensen. And it is his partner, uh, Osias Millier, 
who reports him missing about three years after he disappears. What is with these long wait times? Everyone at the time just kind of assumed that mm. if you didn't turn up, it, it was probably fine. Probably just made camp. See, now we live in a society where that the opposite is yeah. true. Exactly. And so when, you know, when, when Jorgensen and Melier went out for the spring season, Jorgensen decided to stay for the winter. Melier said, all right, I'll see you at Fort Simpson. Mm-hmm. Jorgensen never showed up. This was 1912, by the way. Jorgensen never shows up, uh, heads back to his home in Seattle. Okay. And then in 1914, goes back out to Nahani to discover that Jorgensen still hasn't shown up. And he makes a little trek through and finds that, well, here's one of Jorgensen's cabins that I know is up here. Mm-hmm. Here's a pile of Jorgensen's clothes. Here's Jorgensen's rifle and Jorgensen's uh, revolver. And this cabin has been burned to the ground. But there's no Jorgensen. Mm. At least not according to the official report. One version of the story that I've read that I could not confirm any details of was that Jorgensen's body was there and it was headless. Okay. Now... Are there any, the, other, any other stories? Or is it just the Well, one? the official report says that they found Jorgensen in a grave. And that he had been buried, which suggests that Melier buried him... Which, Do we know why? We don't. Um, which, to be fair, like... Also, to be clear, Jorgensen had told Melier that he found a lot of gold out there. And that's why he was staying for the winter. Mm-hmm. They got there. None of that gold was there. Mm-hmm. Headless corpse of Melier buried in a grave. His weapon's still out there. Which, again, there's no detail in the story where Osias Melier suggests that it looked like Jorgensen had burned inside of the cabin. Okay. He goes back and he tells the police in in September of 1915. He tells them, I, I found a burned out cabin. There's no mention of the body, but maybe he told the police about the body and they just didn't record it. It's 1912. Mm-hmm. Well, 1915 at this point. But in 1916, they actually send out the expedition to go figure out what's going on. And I assume they waited in this case because like, they knew he was dead. Yeah. Um. They get out, they dig up the body to see what happened. It's about 150 yards from the riverbank. The cabin is about 200 yards from the riverbank. They can't ascertain a cause of death. So, nothing really comes of it. Uh, This expedition was led by a Corporal David Churchill. And I have verified that both David Churchill and Arthur Malore were real corporals with the Royal Northwestern Mounted Police. So they existed. They were real people. These are real stories. Uh, you can get bits and pieces of these stories from the actual Royal Canadian uh, amount of police reports from the years. Mm-hmm. I did that. Um, <laughs> I, like a good researcher does? <laughs> I, uh, I have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> they are indeed particular. Exactly. So, after this experience, uh, they are starting to think, all right, there's some weirdness going on in this valley, but they also don't want to panic anybody. And it's a very lucrative trading area. Yeah. Either the natives coming down from the mountains and bringing in furs and skins or people going out and finding gold. Like, this is a good, good spot to be. Also, the natives of the region had a really cool uh, transport tactic where they would sail down the river Mm -hmm. on uh, basically very large canoes Mm -hmm. made out of moose skins. So it would be a framework and then moose skin. Which makes sense. It's leather. Uh-huh. And then they would get there, they would get to the fort they were trading at, and they would disassemble a boat and sell the skins. Amazing. And then walk A back, plus. Walk back with their pack dogs. A plus. Yeah. So they would just basically take huskies back through the mountains. Good um, 
But when they weren't doing that, uh, Europeans were dying in very strange circumstances. For example, John O'Brien uh, left his partner behind to go check traps. He was expected to take eight or nine days to check all of them in return. Uh, he did not return. And when his partner went looking for him, he found his body frozen, hunched over a dead campfire. See, there's a question there. Of, so there was a, a campfire. Mm-hmm. He had at one point made fire, but he could not keep it going. Which is weird because once you have like, getting the fire started is the hardest part. Yeah. Like once uh, it's going, once you have the good embers, yeah. you can keep a fire going for days. And, you know, why was he in a situation where he was so desperate with a fire? Like, mm-hmm. why did he take so long to come back? Were you able to look into the weather reports of the time? It was, it's so long ago. Sure. I mean, in this story, I think we're dealing with uh, the 1920s. Okay. So there was no weather reporting. Okay. Um, but, uh, after that, we get to another guy, Phil Powers. He had gone to the valley to do some trapping in the summer of 1931, was expected back at Fort Liard, mm-hmm. did not show up. Uh, after a full year, Constable Duncan Martin sets off after him, and uh, along the river they pick up other prospectors. These are Albert Fail and Poole Field, which are names. Fail? Yeah, his last name was Fail. That poor child. He was, poor, I mean, poor he was child. French, too. Like, mm. just really just... Every possible bad thing that happened. Um, no, no, he could also have lived in Ohio. This is true. God, French people in Ohio. That's like the worst. <laughs> uh, Are there any French girls in Ohio? Hit them up. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> I keep thumbsing up in this video and I have no idea why. It's fine. <laughs> you eventually learn what to do with your hands when I, you do this. It's it's not something that comes naturally to you. They're just hands. <laughs> uh, yes, and uh, Thorn Bussy is in New York for the weekend, so I have replaced him with uh, Becca, who I met through him in the first place. So That's also very true. And I'm usually in the comment section, um, yes. in the chat every week, uh, just berating them. So now I get to do it live. Exactly. It's great. Um, my self-esteem has gone down several notches today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, Fail and Field instruct Duncan Martin that, uh, okay, well, they, you know, Phil was camping up by Flat River. Which at this point has become a sentence I assume the Mounties don't like to hear. <laughs> uh, because it usually means they're about to find a grizzly scene. Yeah. So Not a grizzly bear. No. Well, possibly that as well. Sure. Uh, field and pool, or uh, sorry, field and fail lead Duncan up to where the cabin was, mm-hmm. where they find a cabin that has been partially burned. What is with the burning? That's why it doesn't seem to me like this is like accidents. Yeah, this kind, fire the, is so very human. Anytime there is a physical, like a real structure, not just a tent, mm-hmm. it's burned. Which is just strange. Very odd. So, uh, the cabin has been burned to the ground. It's still the structure is still there, but for the most part, it's it's burned. Uh, I don't know how they determined all of this, but they determined that uh, Powers was in bed when he died, uh, though only his bones remained. Um, there was no bed. Well, the bed was there, too, presumably. Um, He appeared to have been uh, reading a magazine when fire consumed the building. And while I could not confirm this, I believe this one is also a situation of no head. Uh, But it might not be. And either either way, it doesn't matter, because even if he did have his head, how did he burn to death casually? Yeah. I mean, that's a way to go. I also don't totally casually. understand how they knew he was reading a magazine. So wait, was he the real life case of this is fine? Yes. 
I don't know how he was reading a magazine. Like, maybe the fire didn't get that low. And how did they know? Because a magazine would have burned. Exactly. I I don't... I'm assuming the magazine was, like, open on the ground next to him or something like that. I don't totally understand how it would have worked. But... I... It's another instance where this has to have been... A human did something to him. Because there's no way that you just casually lay in bed while the cabin burns around you. Well, you don't. Probably Phil Powers didn't either. (laughs) Um, Phil... Despite dying in a fire and presumably being headless, his death is ruled an accident by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police Department... 100% 100% A plus yep. there. And Definitely then, an accident. Yeah. And then in nineteen in May 1936, uh, William Epler and Joseph Mulholland, they go on a trip in February. They are flown, That's because crazy. it's 1936, mm-hmm. they are flown to Glacier Lake, uh, and they're supposed to be back in May. Okay. At Fort Simpson. Again. Okay. They do not show up. Of course not. Well, this time, search gets launched immediately. Strange. Well, I think they kind of picked up on what was going on at this point. Okay, fair. Uh, so the pilot, uh, whose name was George Daltiel, flies Constable Winston Graham to the location. They find, what do you think they find? Nothing. A burned out cabin. Of course. Um, and a month old campfire. That's still burning? Not still burning, but, but there is a, it, it appears to be a month old. How, how can they? I be? don't know. I assume they had a way to know that it was a month old, but I don't know. Like, maybe if there was snow... Maybe somebody left a calendar page laying there with a date circled on it. Like, Was it a sexy calendar? Maybe. Could have been. Um, but, uh, month-old campfire, but no bodies. Hmm. So, Phil, or, sorry, uh, Epler and Mulholland aren't there. Okay. Uh, there is another death after that one. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Did they ever um, find those two? No. Okay. But then there's the case of Frank Henderson and trying to find it's a little bit further back here. Uh, yeah, Frank Henderson and Jack Patterson, who in 1946 were leading an expedition near Virginia Falls, which is about twice the size of Niagara Falls. Wow. To give you an idea of scale here. Um, yeah. So they were leading an expedition out there. Uh, they had to split for some reason. Um, they agreed that they would leave a mark on a specific tree. Okay. Whoever got there first to let them know that they had already headed back mm-hmm. or that they needed to wait. Okay. So Henderson's group gets there first, marks the tree. Nobody's there. They decide they'll wait a little bit to see if Patterson shows up. Patterson doesn't show up. And as they're waiting for him, according to Henderson, one night, uh, they're awoken by a group of natives who tell them that they shouldn't be staying out here because there are pale-faced demons who stalk the valley at night killing people. The pale-faced demons be just white people? Possibly, but given the closeness of the relationship between the Hudson Bay Company Mm -hmm. and the natives of the region... Okay, that's fair. It seems more likely that they would have said there's white people killing people (laughs) out here. Yeah, or English folk. Yeah, exactly. They they would have told them that. Uh, Henderson, of course... Could it have just been a scare tactic to keep them away? It could have been. It also could be completely made up. Of course could. Uh, and this was recorded in the Calgary Herald, 
1946, which, despite having uh, access to JSTOR through school, um, I could not get the Calgary Herald from 1946, which honestly does not totally surprise me. Um, but that's not the last death. Patterson never is found, by the way. Of course um, not. That's not the last death. What's the last? The weird part about this one is how recent it is. 2005. No way. Nothing of this sort recorded from 1946 to 2005. So there's 50 years of it's just not recorded. It could have, could have happened. Yeah. yeah. But it just was not recorded. Well, in between, Jean Porel made his expedition. Mm -hmm. He documented the 250 caves. Mm -hmm. He took Pierre Trudeau, who was not Justin Trudeau's father. I will die on this hill. He took Pierre Trudeau out there. Uh, it's Castro. It's, it's Castro. I, I Justin Trudeau is definitely a Castro. I don't know enough. It explains everything, Becca. Think. No. <laughs> I refuse. Smooth brain. So, uh, yeah. He uh, takes Pierre Trudeau out there. They get it set up as a national park. It is, uh, you know, the National Park Service in Canada. It kind of redoes the national park thing again in 2000. Mm -hmm. Resurveys the area. Redefines what the park is, what the rules are, all of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Uh, in 2005, so it, it kind of makes sense that nothing happens from, like, 1964 when Poirel makes his trip yeah. until 2005 because it's they've changed the way the park is managed. Gotcha. Now it's a park. Gotcha. Now there are Trips rules. are recorded, and if people go missing, it is reported immediately. Like, they, mm -hmm. you know, you can say that they wanted to make it a park because it was pretty or... Because they said a whole bunch of people are dying here and we need to figure out why, which, again, is kind of my opinion about the U.S. national parks. ¿Por qué no los dos? It's also possible. Um, but, yeah, the, uh, the, the 2005 disappearance is two men uh, in their 60s named David Horsey and Fred Hardesty. Okay. Experienced outdoorsmen. They live up in the area. I think they're from Fort Simpson. Mm -hmm. Fort Simpson is central to most of these stories. So would they have heard the stories of what happened? Almost certainly. Okay. They would probably know. And their friend owned a cabin on the North Nahani River, mm -hmm. which is just uh, basically like 100 miles north of mm -hmm. the South Nahani River. Uh, they go up to the cabin for the weekend. It's June 12th, 2005. They are reported missing on June 16th, 2005. Mm -hmm. Because the owner of the cabin, who hadn't heard from them and expected them to be back because they were just supposed to go over the weekend... Owner of the cabin heads up, gets there, nobody's there. Calls the police. Royal Canadian Mounted Police come out. No signs of a struggle. Weapons in the cabin, food in the cabin, water in the cabin, clothes in the cabin. There's absolutely no reason that they would have needed to leave the cabin. Is the cabin burned? The cabin is not burned, but okay. the cabin is empty. Okay. Of people. No people. So, the people, uh, the people are not... Well, we'll get to that. Um... No signs of a struggle, no explanation for why they left the cabin, but it's been a short period of time. Mm -hmm. It's June. Mm -hmm. Entirely possible that these are men who are still very hungry, but alive. As long as they had water. And there is a river right yeah. there, so it's not like they couldn't get water, and mm -hmm. honestly, they probably could have foraged for enough food. Yeah. And again, the cabin was full of food. Yeah. If they needed to get back. So there's a lot of questions here. But the central question seems to be, why did they leave the cabin, mm -hmm. and why didn't they go back to the cabin? Which implies to me that they were running from something at the cabin. There's a ghost. Maybe. Uh, Constable Brad Parker of the Fort Simpson RCMP said that there, uh, there was no reason for them to leave. So there's official, official police investigation says, we don't know why they left. 
Um, okay. By June 23rd, the Mounties had pulled out of the search. They had determined this is not a law enforcement matter. And this was seven days? Yeah, it was June 16th to June 23rd. So seven days, and they decided that the police... The police decided it was not a law enforcement matter, and... But it's a missing person. It was, but... uh, Well, so in the U.S., I'm sure that the RCMP handles it similarly. In the U.S., if an adult goes missing, the federal government does not get involved. That's true. And the RCMP are federal. Okay, okay. Thank you for explaining that. Yeah, I don't think that they're necessarily candid as FBI, but they are... They, they are, federal. are federal police. So they decide, you know, what search and rescue can handle this. It's not a law enforcement matter. Mm-hmm. You know, the town's got plenty of volunteers. Our resources are best used elsewhere. Also, remember how remote an area this is. Yeah. Like, they've only got so much law enforcement to go around. Yeah. Not a dangerous place and, for crime, but small amount of law And also just kind of recognizing, of like, you, you are more specialized in this than we are. You're going to do a better job. Exactly. And he, they had family. Family and friends yeah. who were out there looking for them, who were all experienced and armed and knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, on June 27th, they find Jorge's body. It is out in the bush, which, again, bush here does not mean a shrubbery. The bush is the dense part of the... Yes, I know. The, the bush is the dense part of the forest. They find his body. Body is intact. Officials claim no foul play suspected because they send the coroner out. Mm-hmm. Um... But Jonas Antoine, a family friend and one of the searchers, said that Horsey had burn marks on his arms. Which is interesting. Then we got the burning again. Mm -hmm. And also, why are they just on his arms? Because usually when you see marks on people's arms in an injury... Defensive wounds. They're defensive wounds. And what is you using fire... If not a person. If not a person. Exactly. So, and it's not like it's rug burn. There's no yeah. It, it would imply then that somebody with a torch or a burning stick or something took a swing at him and he reached up to block it with his arms. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why he left the cabin, but somebody in chat did say maybe they heard a noise that caused them to leave. But in that case, why didn't they bring their guns? Always bring your gun. And and you know a lot of people might look at it and be like, oh well, maybe they didn't think to. Nah, if you're if you're that kind of person who does this kind of thing for fun, you know that you don't go anywhere without a gun. It's like, if you're out in the wilderness for any extended period, um, extended point of time, that's not the right word, anyway, you want a gun, because you have, especially in northern Canada, where there are grizzlies. Yeah. And grizzlies, really, and, I, like, I mean, there's moose. And there's moose. Moose could kill moose you. Moose are terrifying. Moose are huge. Like, I don't, it blew my mind when I saw an actual two-scale photo of what the size of a moose is. And it's like, I actually thought they were the size of deer, because I just thought they were deer with bigger antlers. They are not. Uh, bull moose average six feet tall at the shoulder. And then it's got the head and neck yeah. above that and, and antlers. And, and how much do they weigh? 1,400 pounds. Oh, man. Yep. They're, uh, that is more than, no. 1,400. It's about a quarter of the weight of my truck. Yeah, they're... Uh, how big can they get? Big. Big yeah. can moose get. Moral of the story is they should, if you're going outside, they can be up to seven feet at the shoulder. They're big you, boys. You bring your gun. <laughs> yes, exactly, Kalen Kennedy. Stay strapped or get clapped. Um, can't clap when dussy cheeks if you're not strapped. You've just inspired some fan art that I don't think you want. 
It's a valid point. I gotta watch my words. Um, <laughs> so, the spot where uh, Jorge was found had been searched several times, mm-hmm. which is a common theme in a lot of these stories. Uh, it is possible that it was just that the bush was so dense they didn't find him, but also it was the police who said that uh, they probably just missed it, but the police weren't there for the search. Don't trust the police. Yeah. I. If anything, from what I've learned from missing people's cases, it's just don't t- trust the police. Well, things get weirder because, uh, again, he's, he's found on the 26th, mm-hmm. but on June 24th, an article titled Fire May Be Clue to Fate of Missing Simpson Men was published. Okay. The article has been scrubbed. Hmm. It is, I smell conspiracy. The hyperlink has been deactivated. If you click on it, you can't get it. And if you search for it, you can't get it. So how did you hear about this article? Because the hyperlink is still there in the article. Oh. Where it says related, colon, like, and then that. How they embed their own stories and articles so you can yeah. follow the trail. Yeah, that's still there. But the hyperlink is dead. Hmm. It says the page cannot be found. So, that article, again, was published two days before his body was found. Hmm. Usually, you update an yeah. article if new information comes out. You don't scrub it. You don't remove it. Yeah. That sounds like someone's being silenced. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> Hardesty, the other guy, is... They keep searching because they still haven't found him. Yeah. <clears throat> His body is found on July 7th, 20 kilometers from the cabin. Horse was found 4 kilometers. Okay. For those of you who use freedom units, that's a little over 2 miles. Okay. Um, Which is not as much distance as I originally thought, but it's still yeah. a good amount of distance. Maybe almost 3 miles, actually. But 20 kilometers is... <clears throat> yeah. That's a hike. Uh, he is found floating in the North Nahani in an area that had been searched multiple times. This being searched multiple times is a little bit more understandable because it's a, a river, so it flows. Mm-hmm. He could have just been at a different point in the river. Uh, there are no burn marks on Hardesty, mm-hmm. uh, but he is dead. They do not suspect foul play, mm-hmm. and the causes of death are listed for Horse as hypothermia and okay. for Hardesty as drowning. The hypothermia... In June? He makes... Well, still possible. <laughs> it's still possible. Um, and also could possibly explain some of the burn marks if he had tr- attempted to make a fire and was just too close to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, drowning makes sense. But, yeah. I don't trust the police, and I don't really trust those answers. And neither did the family or the local native population. Hmm. Who insisted that they had not done enough to investigate this murder. Fair. What they saw is probably a murder. They said, you haven't done enough to investigate this. We feel unsafe. It is your job to keep investigating. Mm-hmm. And the Royal Canadian Mounted Police said no, refused to continue the investigation. And in 2018, there was another attempt by the family to get them to reopen the investigation. Mm-hmm. They still would not do it. What was their excuse? Or answer? They just said that there was no reason to believe there was foul play. And that investigating it further wasn't going to fix anything. But I do want to really quickly, uh, I want to pull this up so we can uh, actually have an idea. Um, I have a tangent of, can we start a petition to form a separate organization that is not the police (laughs) that just goes into missing people so that the police don't have to worry about it? So Because clearly, they're not good at it. Yeah, true. 
in June 2005 in Fort Simpson, mm -hmm. which again is just east of where they were, mm -hmm. the minimum temperature, the lowest it got the entire month was 50 degrees. Now, does that account for the temperature of water? No, but Horsey was not found in the water. But he could have been in the water, get out. Doesn't seem to have, it, it was not suggested that he was, he wasn't okay. near the water. I'm yeah. just trying to, my, but yeah, it's just, hypothermia just does not seem yeah. right. And even if you were wet in 50 degree weather, like you're not, you can live long enough. Yeah. Like you're not going to die overnight. Yeah. And you could also just take off the clothes. Also, and you're only four kilometers from the cabin. Also, how did they determine that it was hypothermia and not starvation or not a heart attack or not another Don't event? Know. Because to me, hypothermia, like, what are the signs of hypothermia? I don't know. I don't know either. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, that's kind of where the last of these stories is. But the fact that the police refused to investigate what almost certainly has to have been some, some form of crime mm -hmm. is wild to me. I, I don't necessarily think that there is a particularly supernatural side to this. There could be. I I more see it as a more human side mm -hmm. of there is either a serial killer who really likes head or <laughs> I think you do it. Or there might be an uncontacted tribe that wants to stay uncontacted. Yes. And the the alleged story about pale faced demons would imply humans. Mm -hmm. Um, in my opinion. And when you think about it because demon does, just the word, suggests something sort of human-like. Yeah, it's, it suggests something physical. Yeah. Um, what I could not find, and probably won't be able to find unless I go up and talk to the local native people, I don't have the money to do that. Yeah. What I could not find were uh, any negative sources Okay. about pale-faced demons. Okay. Uh, now, part of that could be because a lot of the time Native American communities, First Nations communities, don't advertise their uh, their folklore of that sort because mm -hmm. they don't want to be looked at as lesser Fair. or overly superstitious, mm -hmm. um, which I think is kind of funny considering how superstitious white people are. But uh, Seriously. You know, but they they do not have good trust. Yeah, <laughs> in uh, other people. No, for, I would, for good reasons. <laughs> I would suggest that the skinwalker tradition that the Navajo have could easily have its own counterpart from up there. Or that the Naha themselves were a tribe of quote-unquote skinwalkers. Maybe, and that's why they were so terrifying. And Yeah, exactly. So again, no, this is all speculation. You know what I just thought of? What? So it's a skinwalker, but they need your head. Like, they can take on your physical mm -hmm. form with a skull hat. True. That would physical be a possibility. skull hat. Yeah, so I think I, I think adorable. God, adorable is not the word I would use. Um, I know we disagree about the definition of some words. That is accurate. I, <laughs> uh, it's, it seems to me like there's definitely something weird up there, mm -hmm. but I don't see a ton of evidence for it being something specifically supernatural. What I do see a possibility for, and I mentioned this to you earlier, is uncontacted tribe or divergent human evolution. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there could have easily been a tribe up there before yeah. the Naha and the Dene got there. There could be a tribe that 
back during the glacial period, decided to live in the caves. I could have. And could have, over a long, long period of time, developed to be nocturnal mm-hmm. and prefer the dark and prefer to hunt. See, my only issue with the divergent human evolution is why haven't we seen more cases of not necessarily cave dwellers, but people having certain adaptations because they live in an aquatic setting or because they live... And it is true. To some extent, there are changes for different regions. Mm -hmm. But to such extremes? I think part of it's probably population size. Um, In the case of something... You know, I, I first of all, it has to be close enough mm-hmm. in terms of habitat mm-hmm. that humans could survive in it. Mm-hmm. When it comes to like aquatic, there's just no way that humans could be aquatic. You know, we there might be, and, and I'm sure there probably are tribes or were at some point tribes out there that had mm-hmm. you know more webbing between their fingers. That's fair. Uh, to to swim better, like that's probably something that's occurred, but in such small populations that they've never really grown up and out actually this is something that i'm probably going to look into more just like how are human how have humans evolved differently to adapt to their region when you think about it i mean the the idea that humans can evolve pretty significant changes to adapt to environments is completely reasonable yeah white people have incredibly high incidence of blue eyes compared to other races Mm -hmm. um in fact it's extremely rare that somebody who's not white has blue eyes don't they most it's either blue eyes or gingers all trace back to a common ancestor. Uh, or I could be completely wrong. I think wrong. it is blue eyes. I, I think it's blue eyes. Could be completely wrong. Yeah, <laughs> I, I believe it's blue eyes. That there was that the genetic mutation for blue eyes happened in Europe something like mm-hmm. 10,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a number of reasons that suggested that it stuck around. One of them is just that they're pretty. One of them is that uh, it is darker in Europe for more of the year. That is true. And that having lighter eyes does a couple of things. Uh, a makes it look lighter around you, so it uh, you know you're less affected by things like seasonal depression. But also that uh, it I, I it improves <laughs> it improves night vision somewhat because um, okay. you're absor- absorbing less light in your iris mm-hmm. and more light in your pupil. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other things. Skin color is oh, probably the most yeah. obvious one. Height. Uh, various Height? populations are taller. Yep, huh. and then if you look at uh, you know the the way that um, North Africans, that Sub-Saharan Africans, but North Northern Sub-Saharan Africans, uh, like Kenya, mm-hmm. um, have far more ability to do distance running, and it seems to be genetic. That North African, that that Northern Sub-Saharan Africans just have genetic disposition towards uh, endurance. I could be wrong, but I do believe there's a group of people that they just. Their tribe just runs. That's just what they do. Yeah. <laughs> and I could be also just very ignorant, but no, I, I remember I reading a book right. at one point of, like, there's this group of people that just run everywhere mm-hmm. because they can. Yeah. I mean, it's... And I'm jealous because I cannot run. Yeah. The, mo- the most obvious and common one is clearly skin color. Yeah. Like, we developed different skin colors because we were living in different climates. Mm-hmm. It's just what it was. Um, eye color, skull shape, mm-hmm. uh, muscle density, bone density. Mm-hmm. All of these things change depending on region throughout the world and part of it is a large part of its nutrition that's fair uh nutrition is but have there been any other people who have evolved to be nocturnal or to have not just slightly you can evolve to be nocturnal in a matter of weeks that's not even a genetic evolution thing that's just that's not wrong 
Um, but like having night vision that is not just slightly better, but night vision where you can see in the dark. Um, I don't know. But hmm. it seems possible. Could humans learn to echolocate? That'd be great. I would enjoy Probably that. over time. I mean, and that's the thing is like how much of evolution that you're talking about is actual evolution versus behavioral adaptation. Mm. Um, but, you know, because evolution is going to take generations. Mm -hmm. uh, and in humans, generations is a long time. We're yeah. talking like at least 15 years per per mm -hmm. person um, on average. Like, you know, that's the earliest that you can really start to have a people give birth without it causing problems. Mm -hmm. um, so, over the course of, you know, a thousand years, okay. you probably could get to a point where you had people who had much better vision for the dark if you were selectively breeding. And we know that selective breeding is a thing we do with animals. And, and yeah. humans have selectively bred each other at points in time. Eugenics! Exactly. Um, so, is it possible that there's a there was a group of people who became more accustomed to that? Sure. So, my question now follows of, if these people do exist, why are they only attacking these people uh, who have gone prospecting into the land? Well, if you look at the people who get attacked, it's usually people who have been in one spot okay. for a while. Okay. Uh, so, it does seem like stalking behavior. Mm -hmm. Like, they see a target, and they stalk it for a little while, wait until it's in the right spot, mm -hmm. then go for it. Um, or it's possible that they're just not, that these were all horrible accidents, and wild animals carried off the heads. I don't know that I buy that, and yeah. I think that the unwillingness to investigate is strange. I would be more inclined to believe that there are people like me who found a skeleton, and were just like, ooh, free skulls. <laughs> But the thing is, the, the, the thing that just makes it so weird is the deliberate human behaviors. Mm -hmm. The burning. And the, fact that the, the burning. And the fact that the natives of the region are adamant that they didn't do it. Yeah. And they really had no reason to. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what? they didn't care that much about gold. Gold only mattered because of the Europeans. The natives didn't yeah. give a shit. Yeah. So. And as it is, gold is not that great of metal. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great conductor. It is a great conductor. Yeah, but they weren't using electricity at the time, so. How do you know? I, I. So I look at this case and I'm like, all right, it seems like it's got to be humans. And it's got to be humans who are not associated with the known native tribal groups. Mm -hmm. um, or it's got to be a situation of divergent evolution and there's something living in those caves. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make a confident statement in either direction because I just don't think there's enough information. There, there isn't. But I would love to see an actual investigation of it. Um, well, one day you can do the actual investigation That's true. of it. God, that would be nice. Be the investigator you want to see in the world. But it is 8.07 p.m., which means that as soon as I can find the... Uh, I can manually insert an ad. Don't do that. I didn't know I could do that. That's so cool. Huh. Um, do you want to manually insert an ad for your sister? That was what I was about to do. I'm trying to go through and look at uh, the... I gotta go to the monetization tab... Supers. I would also like to see her get some drinks. Well, she can't can't legally do that yet. I didn't say that she bought them. True. All right. So and we'll read through didn't, these. Didn't say that they were alcoholic. <laughs> uh, Kai Theron for Canadian two seventy nine says, "Happy birthday, Mini Aiden, Mini female Aiden." But yes, 
Um, Rock and Ruin for $5 US says, Weird Bible Pod with Wendigoon Wen. Happy birthday, youngling. Deep fried pizza rolls. Ooh, I would suggest that, Ainsley, if you are watching. Um, but that is uh, about eight bucks towards Ainsley. Well, after YouTube takes its cut, more like five. But, that's, um, that's a coffee. Yep, that's a coffee. Uh, let's see. Uh, for two from Beelzebub, we have Call One of the Drinks a Window to See Whiskey Spritz. No. <laughs> Gotta figure that one out. Uh, and to answer the question of Weird Bible Podcast, when? Uh, last Thursday of the month. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be on the period from Moses leaving Egypt to uh, the end of Exodus and Numbers. So when they're just wandering in the desert for Wandering in the desert and then settling in Canaan. Mm. Uh, and then the one after that, we're probably going to do Jewish law, like Leviticus and Deuteronomy. <sighs> which is all weird. You brave soul. Yeah. Um, that's the thing about uh, Exodus that I didn't learn as a child, is I didn't realize how, how long they were in the desert. It's a long time. It's a long time. Uh, Robin Blake for $10 says, Happy birthday, Ainsley. Uh, Plaz for five dollars says happy birthday, Ainsley. Ains, you're you're getting you're getting a chunk of change for this one. Lots of coffee. Um, let's see, uh, A7XM Shadows nineteen, great band. Avenged Sevenfold slaps. Hundred um, percent for fifty. Says as an Ohioan, I would climb over those mountains to confront you for all the slander, but I'll settle for this. <laughs> Love the content. <laughs> I appreciate my 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 brethren in Ohio. I only make fun of you because you're so close. <laughs> and also, it's within punching our, distance. Our college kind of yeah bred it into We're, us. She's also are. a Penn Stater, so. And here I go again with my hands. I can't. <laughs> I don't like my hands. Uh, Sturdy Industries for ten says sent a Patreon message that can contribute to Missing Four Hundred One named Athian Athian. I will take a look at it. Um, I was meaning to I was meaning to check Patreon more intensively this weekend, but I had a rough. Rough weekend. I've <laughs> not been feeling great the past couple days. Uh, Beelzebub says, did you check the internet archive for 1920 weather? There wasn't anything. <clears throat> um, Phoenix Ostapovich says, for Canadian 10, I'm heading up to nor the edge of northern Alberta for a shift of work tomorrow. Was thinking of popping into Nahani for a day of camping since I'll be so close. Maybe I won't now, though. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like for a day you'll be fine. Yeah. Longer than a week? A lot, of people, a lot of people will camp there for a day or a weekend, like, very commonly. Uh, and, again... Your mark is seven days. Yeah, and you again, seven ca days. Canada is... Uh, very obviously paying more attention to this. And also, now I don't think I mentioned this, um, you cannot go into caves. Good. You're not allowed. Good. Uh, caves are scary. Caves are very scary. Uh, Rika Comedy Let's Plays for five says, there's been extreme evolution cases for aquatic humans and bird-like feet humans in modern history. Where? I'm going to need I'm gonna send need the link, you to please. send the link on those bad boys. Um, That's fascinating. So, but let's read through. Uh, also, I mean, if you have other other further questions, go for it with the Super Chats. And if you want the sexy calendar, of course, you know, you have a month. Um, there are blind people who have developed some form of echolocation. I have heard that. And I have heard that if you lose one of your senses, sometimes you can adapt to have heightened other senses that help you navigate the world. Uh, scrolling up and looking at stuff. Gauls are known for taking trophies, mostly heads. Yeah, the uh, the Celts, the ancient Celts definitely liked their heads. Um, although I will issue a small correction on them being ancient French people. They were, uh, the, the ancient French are actually German, believe it or not, which is ironic for many ways, many reasons. Just like, 
but yeah, it's that's a that's a weird uh, thing that a lot of people are aware that the Gauls lived in like what is modern France, mm-hmm. um, but they have no connection to modern French people. Uh, they, they modern French people might have a slight amount of Gallic DNA. Where did they the modern French come from? Germany, the Franks. Mm. Uh, the Franks were a Western Germanic tribe from uh, what not, would be modern-day Germany. Not the Normans? So the Normans were uh, Norse. Really? Yep. That is not what I learned, but I could have also been wrong. <laughs> so what happened was, uh, as the Roman Empire was collapsing, a lot of Germanic tribes were getting pushed west because it was getting considerably colder, mm-hmm. and it was also uh, getting considerably honeyer. Um, in that the Huns were pushing across the Ah. So the combination of people being driven south because it was getting really cold and people being driven west because there were Huns Mm -hmm. led to a very, very, very large number of Germans in Germany Mm -hmm. from the north and the east, and they had nowhere to go but south and west into Rome. And at first the Romans actually used them as mercenaries and called them federati and gave them land to, like, Settle and all of that, but the problem is eventually they started to outnumber the Romans considerably. Uh, uh, and so the, the Franks just happened to be one of the more uh, powerful tribes. And as Rome was collapsing around them, um, they were given a bunch of this land on the border to just hold. Mm-hmm. Because the Romans were like, we can't do this, so you can live here if you can hold it. And they said, this is mine now. Yes. Um, basically, because by 476, Western Rome no longer existed. Uh and the Eastern Empire didn't have the military might to expand back into the West. Uh, they did actually get pretty close under Justinian. They okay. retook most of North Africa, all of Italy, and parts of Spain, which is very impressive. Uh, but it was not to be. So the French originate from the Germanic Franks moving into the area and adopting Vulgar Latin as a language. It's called Vulgar Latin? Yes. It's a choice of words. Well, I mean, it again, vulgar in ancient terms. Mm. But uh, so they adopt vulgar Latin as a language. It mixes with their Western Germanic dialect get... and becomes French. Too, uh, too many vowels. Yes, way too many vowels. So that's how France came to be. Um, and then the Normans were a uh, group of Norsemen, Norman Norsemen, um, who were given the land Someone because the French, the French were looking at what was going on in England at the time. And saying, wow, that's a lot of Vikings. And they said, you know what? What if we had our own Vikings? <laughs> and so rather than adopting Viking tactics, they uh, just gave the Vikings a whole bunch of land and said... They adopted the Vikings. Yes, they said you got... They, they did exactly what the Romans did to them. They said, if you can hold it, you can have it. Um, Normandy became a duchy that was under the French king, mm. a vassal state. And then eventually the Normans went and took over England, which created a very strange circumstance wherein the Normans were a vassal of the French, but also the kings of England. Um, And then on top of that, uh, due to some marriages, the English monarchy ended up in possession of Aquitaine, which is a large region of southwestern France. Mm. So there was a point at which the English, due to personal, the English nobility, due to the monarchy specifically, due to personal owned lands and, you know, marriage and vassal ships and whatnot, actually had more land than the French. Hmm. And at one point, I think, had more land in France than the French. Uh, that was directly under their rule. So it was called the Angevin Empire. Um, this is just a little period of English history that 
does not get talked about, but Richard the Lionheart was an Ogavan emperor. emperor. Like, that was, he was the emperor. Um, also, y'all are welcome. I got him off on a history tangent. Yeah. So. Um, you can't tell. <laughs> he likes history. I am a historian. But yeah, See. anyway, what I was taught is that the Normans were French. Which is part... part French-speaking. Yeah. Um, I mean, nobody was really French yet. Yeah, it... In the context of Beowulf, how yeah. Old English and English was formed. Yeah, very different from French. Yes. But, all right, what else we got in here? Um, <laughs> the Carol Paskin <laughs> tribe, known for feeding their husbands to tigers. This is even funnier to me, specifically. <laughs> Have you told the full story on the podcast? I don't think I've told the full story on the I podcast, and I don't, I don't think I will. I'll, t- I'll tell the full story on Twitch. Yeah, uh, I to, think that's a safer bet. Yeah, I'll tell the full story on Twitch. Uh, Twitch stream Thursday and Friday nights now. Uh, for anybody that wants to come by. More night and not 4pm. I will try. The problem is, uh, since I am also doing Sunday and my classes are Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, um, I try to keep one day open for activities. No, that's totally fair. I'm just happy <laughs> instead of 4pm, make it 6pm so that when I get okay. home, you start streaming. Well, I do stream for, like, hours. I know, but I want to berate you for longer. Okay, fine. Um, but that looks like... for other people who are at work until 5 p.m. It does look like all of the super chats. So, I will read through these regular chats and see if there's anything I feel like answering. Um, let's see. Uh, modern recorded cases of tribes living in aquatic settlements developing larger lungs. Same thing with tree-based settlements developing extreme bird-based feet. What does bird-based feet mean, though? Like, do they just... Based in bird pip? Is it as if they have more movement in their toes so that they can grab things better? Are they longer toes? This is fascinating. And thank you for everyone who's contributing. Human groups with bird-like. Zimbabwe's special people with two toes. What? Is this is one case? This is from the Nigerian Tribune, which I don't know how reliable that is as a news organization because it's Nigeria. Um, see, I don't see I I don't necessarily see that as a um, adaptation, but more of a mutation, like a birth yeah. defect. I mean, this is probably a birth defect. Yeah, Zimbabwe. So certain, uh, um, like if the umbilical cord is tied around certain limbs, or if things don't separate. You can be born with a hand like that. Or you're just a Trekkie. Yeah, um, yeah so they are, this seems to be common. Uh, if, you're, if you're following along, look up the Doma tribe in Zimbabwe. Uh, D-O-M-A. Uh, but yeah, they... Uh, this is fascinating. I can cannot be- find... I will say I have yet to find a single European or American resource on this and that's not to say that africa has no legitimate news organizations but i do not know them as well Mm -hmm. as the american and european ones so i do not know for sure how much of this is uh but from what we're seeing and what could possibly happen yeah it also opens up the possibility of having cave people oh 100 and we know that people used to live in caves um wow yeah this is uh yeah, I mean, it looks like the Doma people, it's very common. But that's probably a very old mutation. 
-hmm. And I would guess probably a lot of inbreeding involved. Um, that's wild. Oh, I just saw the comment. Um, pugs were a mistake. Pugs were a mistake. Like any flat faced dog. I'm sorry. They, some of them are cute, but the health issues that they have is not worth the aesthetic. Um, and actually, if you go back in history to what these animals looked like before selective breeding, I prefer them without their smushed faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe there is now a couple people who are trying to breed them back um, and take away the... Oh, they're adorable without the smush. Right? Yeah. They're just kind of like um, like Frenchies. <laughs> they're so they're called retro pugs. <laughs> That's so cute. Aww. Yeah, same thing with like bulldogs as well. Yeah, so there's also Amazonian monkey hunters who eat monkeys. I mean, sure. That's what you want to eat. Uh the Huarani tribe. What's Um, I mean, let's, let's take a look at them. That's definitely a primitive Amazonian tribe. Doesn't seem to be anything odd about their uh, physical appearance, though. No. Yeah, no, totally normal physical appearance. I don't know why they were mentioned in the other one. Um, I mean, that guy has weird feet, but... Yeah. Let's see. Uh, let's also look up uh, webbed feet in humans. Right, I'm gonna look up uh, webbed foot tribe. Ooh, someone said to do a video on the pap- papal schism. Papal. Oh, uh, the the great schism. Mm-hmm. Like um, ten fifty four. I can do that. That'd be a fun video. I mean, people do definitely develop webbed feet like that. There are people with that, but again, it's usually just a mutation. Yeah, and there is a mutation where, like, that can happen. Yeah, fused toes. Action Bible. What's the Action Bible? I have not heard of the Action Bible. Yeah, I can't find anything for people, like, a tribe with webbed feet people, but... I'm also doing a very, like, cursory search here. Mm-hmm. Old English bull- Yes. Bulldogs were adorable before their smushed faces. Speaking of adorable. Archie, come here. I am also very come biased. Um, come here. I I own a German Shepherd, and she is the best, and German Shepherds are the best, and no one can tell me otherwise. I have an Archie. I have a Solo. She's just not here right now. He's very manageable. Like, he's just a manageable size. I can pick up Solo. I just appreciate that he's staring at you. He's not. He's staring, like, right here. Oh, is he? No thoughts. No <laughs> thoughts in his brain. He's staring right past me. Are you going to us now? Do it. Do the howl. Do the war. See, this is also a running joke it. of... <laughs> Since I've been here, Archie pays more attention to me than him. This is true. Yeah. I want him to howl. Do we have to... 
Yes, you have a German Shepherd, but do you have a lap wolf? Yes, she sits in my lap. Like this? Yes. Does she howl? She does not howl. Ah! I do. I do have a very silent dog. I have the lap. She wolf. honks. She honks. Let's see, uh, Heavy Burn Man says, if, for twenty-five, if I wasn't creeped out by their little legs, I'd have let that milf spider that's been hiding out in my room bite my head off. <laughs> Sadly, I had to evict her today. Apologies for being so late to the stream. No need to apologize. That was quite a sentence to read. I mean, they do got that dump truck. Milf spider? They have that dump truck. I feel like that might have been a typo, but I'm just going to enjoy this. <laughs> Archie said, okay, whatever, sure, I guess I will. <laughs> There's a uh, spring took down my uh, my sticker with Archie on it. The Stark socks dealer. Yeah. Why? They, they said it violated their guidelines, and I just sent back. Why? And I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, Yeah, sorry. Like <laughs> our automated system caught it for oh, something. Maybe someone thought it yeah. was a another type of sock. Maybe. But uh, yeah, Archie uh, Archie is featured on some of our our apparel on LoreLodge.shop. He's your good boy. He is a good boy. But no questions, just money for the lap wolf. Thank you. <laughs> no, go straight uh, to treats. She had a big old dumpy. Oh my god. Like, like that's what I'm saying. This I, is the I think I think I'd have let that MILF spider that's been hiding out in my room bite my head off might be the first time that sequence of words has ever been strung together. No. You've not been on the furry side, have you? Oh, that's a valid point. Joseph for two dollars says my brother in Christ. What was that? It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. I think you said that to me as well. What? Because I have my collection of dead bugs. Yeah. True. I just like dead things. The Bajo people of the Philippines are practically amphibious. Wow. What? Name collected refers to people who call themselves Sama, are known by the exonym Bajo. How long can they hold breath? 13 minutes. That's impressive. That is insane. And I can't attest to, like, because I was a swimmer, when I was actively doing it, you do gain more lung capacity when you practice it. But 13 minutes? Yeah, I mean... In order to facilitate their freediving lifestyle, some Bajo deliberately puncture their eardrums to deal with the intense pressure they experience underwater. Ow. Ah. You bleed from your ears and nose, and you have to spend a week lying down because of the dizziness. <laughs> After yeah. that, you can dive without pain. Can they hear? Ah. Bajo who undergo this procedure tend to become hard of hearing in their old age. Yeah. That would make sense. Uh, simply diving frequently also allows them to become more capable swimmers. The lung wall and abdomen become more compliant and the diaphragms become stretchier. But researchers have discovered that the Bajau also possess a useful genetic trait. Specifically, they possess variants of the PDE10A gene and the BDKRB2 gene. I love how scientists just 
gave these, like, serial numbers. Well, there are many, many genes. I know, but I don't know what these ones do. Well, you're not a scientist. Variants that are absent from their closest neighbors, the Salawan, who do not live their lives at sea. They have spleens that are 50% larger. Spleens aren't necessarily survival. They do play a role in the immune system and act as a kind of filter for the blood, removing old red blood cells and recycling iron. Crucially, the spleen holds a reserve of blood. Uh, when mammals that? dive underwater, the spleen contracts, distributing the reserved oxygen-rich blood mm -hmm. throughout the body, so a bigger spleen means more available oxygen when diving. All right. So that explains why they can do it for as long as they can without bringing in more oxygen. Bye, Archie. Bye, Archie. Uh, furthermore, the genetic variants uh, is associated with another feature, peripheral vasoconstriction. Um, oh, this phenomenon hasn't been directly observed by researchers. The unique genetic profile of the Baju may enable them to better constrict non-critical areas of their vascular system. In essence, that means that less blood is used in the more external parts of their bodies, such as their limbs, and more blood is sent to critical areas like the heart, lungs, and brain, enabling longer dives. It happens. I believe it. All right, I think you got another super chat. Where? I think you might. Mm-hmm. Ah, Heavy Burn Man for five says that was 100% not a typo. It had a dumpy and had many children. <sighs> I'm scared. Well, you also just don't like spiders. Do you think that God stays in heaven because he too fears what he has created? Absolutely. <laughs> 100%. Do you know what that quote is from? No. Are you ready for me to Wait, ruin your life? Part? No, it's worse. Spy Kids 2. It gets worse. You know who says it? Steve Buscemi. Yes. <laughs> I did do that. Oh, wait. I think I told you this, too, but the audio tour of Eastern State Penitentiary uh -huh. is voiced by Steve Buscemi, and I have no idea why, but it made me so happy. So you just hear his voice walking you through this abandoned asylum. It's mm, so good. So, so good. I, I just... I, I want to know, is he the person, like... Did that originate in Spy Kids? I think it... Because, yeah, he kind of plays the crazy uncle, and they go into hiding in their special little bunker... And that was also 100% someone got high one day and said that. And they're like, ah, yes, that will be in a movie. I'm going to look it up. And there's no way that that's actually... Also, Fox Gaming, you are correct. If they turned the Bible into an anime, people would 100% be into it. Um, part of the reason I only read as much of the Bible as I have is because my parents gave me a graphic novel version of it. And I think I read that graphic novel. That was, like, solidly thick. Oh my god, like, it actually did originate with Spy Kids 2. It's a banger of a line. Um, but yeah, I only, like, this thick graphic novel Bible read it, like, four times. Because it was a graphic novel, and I really like graphic novels. I think if you made an anime of the Bible, it probably would not go over very well. I think it would go over great. If it was made by Christians and is respectful, I think it'd go over great. Uh, see, the problem is made by Christians usually does not translate to a good movie. You are correct. Except Veggie Tales. Yeah, that's true. Actually, there we go. The anime of the Bible is Veggie Tales. Yeah, that's a good point.
there's I'm just coming across now a thread of like wild Wait. quotes. The Action Bible is the graphic novel one. Oh, I might have read that a lot. <laughs> Up here with Skeletor's profound lines in Masters of the Universe. Tell me about the loneliness of God, He-Man. Is it equal to the loneliness of evil? I mean, lonely is lonely. Uh, what what is that image? Please get that off your screen I know. right now. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just looking through these now, like, because there's some. <laughs> you cannot kill me in any way that matters. Is <laughs> from wait, a shit wait, post wait, on wait. Tumblr. No, shush, Plaz. What do you mean Bob and Larry will not go to heaven? Wait, no. Why? Why will Bob and Larry not go to heaven? Why are Bob and Larry devout Christians? <sighs> Hang on, I'm, I'm pulling it up. Reminder that VeggieTales characters aren't human and therefore cannot go to heaven. <laughs> They are dedicating their lives to a religion they know will not reward them. <laughs> There's a St. Michael movie coming out soon? That sounds badass. As in Michael the Archangel? Or is there a different St. Michael? I think there might be a different St. Michael. No, it's, if you look up St. Michael, it's Michael the Archangel. Really? Yeah. Well, there's also St. Mike's, which is a nearby uh, club. Mm. And by club, I mean it's... A bar that charges an annual fee to skirt Pennsylvania liquor laws. <laughs> oh, I think there's one nearby me called the Moose Lounge. Moose <laughs> Lounge? Same idea, though. It's a local buy-in. Uh, there is a manga about the Crusades with kids. <sighs> Wild. Shark Boy and Lava Girl? Why'd that pop? Um, there was a period of time... When I dyed Brad's hair red, and so I was Shark Girl and Lava Boy. That works. That makes it sense. It lasted for a week. What, did he re-dye it? No, just dye did not stick in his hair unless I bleached it. Uh, it does the same thing to me, though. Even when I bleach it, it just washes out. So I gotta use Biroll. If any of y'all have colored hair and would like to prolong your colored hair... I use this product called Viral. It is a color depositing conditioner. Um, every time I go in the shower or every other time, I have a blue conditioner. I haven't dyed my hair in a month. And this is my result. Highly recommend. All right, now i got to look up this movie that you're talking about. St. Michael, Meet the Angel. Comes out <gasps> September 20th. Can we watch VeggieTales tonight? Maybe. I'll consider it. Can we go in McDonald's so much VeggieTales? Oh my god. Alright, I think Becca and I need to go eat McDonald's and watch VeggieTales. So thank you everybody who tuned in, and thank you for those who super chatted, especially those who wish my little sister a happy birthday. I will be sending her a fat Venmo. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh... Two T's. Yes. Thank you all so much, and we will see you next week. Or, I guess, you know, Thursday if you come to the Twitch stream. Yeah. Bye guys. <laughs>